Eat that box in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Forever waiting for someone to like us. Bitches love record players. Okay, don't swallow it, that's gross. Hello, my little sex kittens. This is Raven, and welcome to Raven After Dark. Ladies and gentlemen and non-gender conforming individuals, I have a super special guest to me, someone that I hold near and dear to my heart, my wonderful cousin, Brandon. Hello. Hello, sir, Brandon. How are you today? I am wonderful. How are you? I am so great. I'm so glad that we're chatting. I always love our conversations. Me too. This has been overdue for a while. It has. It has. So, Brandon, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am a 30-year-old man living in Portland, Oregon. was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I lived there for 21 years before I left for the Army. And then I got out to go to college at Portland State University, which I still have not graduated from. Okay. Um, I am currently the general manager of the LA Fitness Tannisborn slash Hillsboro location. Uh, I've been an independent trainer for the past six or seven years or so, right before that. Um, and I've done a lot of a lot of kooky, unconventional stuff in my life. <laughs> That's but. what I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so many fun things. So let's start off with your fitness. You've been into fitness, we said, about six, seven years now? Uh, I've been training people uh, as a trainer for six or seven years, but I've been into fitness um, or just into being physically active for as long as I can remember okay. and started working out in a, a gym technically when I was 12. Okay. Who was the first person that took you to the gym? My papa. It was an apartment gym. Very cool. Very cool. So growing up, you were always kind of chunky. Talk to me about that transition from yeah. being chunky uh, to the amazing fitness model that you are now. Uh, well, not a model anymore. Probably some photo shoots in the future, but I haven't been, uh, I haven't been, as aesthetic as I'd like to be for quite a couple of years since COVID really. But yeah, I, um, I, my mom and my dad have both had interesting, um, and unique relationships with food and their bodies, meaning as in they both grew up, um, overweight and then lost weight or went through periods of like bulimia nervosa or binge eating or, or getting really in shape and being obsessed with fitness. Um, and that kind of just obviously passed right down to me because it comes from both sides. So I was kind of guaranteed to have some kind of, um, unique relationship with food and exercise mm -hmm. but um no as a very young kid by the age of five my dad would say uh that i used to look pregnant but i looked <laughs> pregnant at that age oh my god i remember uh i think i got up to i remember freshman year i was 265 and by the time i was a college a freshman in college i was 320 pounds oh my god but, no i was uh i was always a big kid um my nickname in middle school was Brandon Bitch Tits. Uh, I was always kind of, uh, and I, I kind of leaned into and embraced like the the goofy Chris Farley, like Jim Carrey fat kid shtick um, as a child because it, it got me, it got me brownie points with the cool kids and like, you know, self-deprecating humor mm -hmm. is always something that works with them. Um, I was always into sports. I always enjoyed moving around. My dad uh, tried to do, didn't try to, but successfully, um, got me engaged in essentially every kind of physical activity you could think of that you could do as a kid that wasn't like absolutely crazy from basketball, football, uh, tennis, baseball, mountain bike, 
uh, riding, jogging, going to the gym, uh, Bushido, which is samurai sword. I remember uh, that. Karate, yeah, it was just literally anything and everything that he knew a little bit about. That was a physical activity we would try and do to get me to lose weight when I was a kid. He didn't really do a good job on the diet side, which is weird because he, he, he understood how calories in versus calories out work. He figured that out when he was like literally nine years old, just how he did his own weight loss transformation Okay. Uh, when he was really young. So he would just like, he would feed me the typical stuff and throw in like a can of corn or like green beans or something like that on top of it. <laughs> It's pretty silly, but um, yeah. I mean, what what more specifically do you want to know about that? Because I can talk for days about my childhood and just my uh, my perception of the male body growing up and how it's kind of like dictated my life path. Well, yeah. Let let's talk about that more too, because your dad's taller and he's always been fit. But it's interesting that you say that he knew everything about food and diet, and like he was having to do all these activities that were super demanding to your body yet you were so you were still so heavy like you think he'd see that of like okay we're doing all these things maybe we shouldn't be eating crappy kid food and having better food mm -hmm. i think i think it has a lot to do with both my my mom seems to have like demonized food um at least for herself like when we were growing up there was, she she fed us very healthy like my mom did a really good job of always giving us fruits and vegetables and lean mm -hmm. proteins um, and just like balancing out the crap that we were eating with a lot of good stuff. And then for my dad, it felt more like he understood how much food was like an emotional um, release or just something that made us feel good. And it was kind of like something we would do as a family. Like every Friday, we would go get Domino's pizza and like I'd get like a candy bar or Skittles for dessert and we'd sit down and watch a movie. When we went to grandma's, it was a big old uh, like. Uh, Northwestern American spread like, like cornflake lasagna, um, just all the <laughs> usual it. stuff. Yeah, super interesting. Cheesy cornflake lasagna with like potatoes in it. Um, and then like a, a bowl of cookies and cream icing and brownies. So it almost felt like my dad, my dad couldn't bring himself to like actually restrict my food because he knew like how much that sucked as a kid when he was a kid. And he didn't want to put me yeah. through that really rigid kind of neurotic like eating style. I think he was afraid of it messing me up. And so he just try and have me like learn to love exercise and then give me some healthy foods here and there. And a lot of times I felt almost like he was trying to just kind of entertain my mom or just check boxes, you know, cause they like talk and she wanted him to yeah. get me to eat healthier and take steps to do that. So it kind of felt like he was just doing the bare minimum on that side. It's, it's really interesting why he didn't actually, cause he pushed me so hard, you know, in so many yeah. ways. I mean, stuff happened. Like we would, you know, Squaw Peak, the mountain, you know, mm -hmm. he'd take me hiking up that thing and we would get, halfway up and he could tell that I was sucking and I was just huffing leaned mm -hmm. over and he'd, he'd come over to me at like a little rest spot and be like, are you tired? And I'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, do you want to go home? And I'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, too bad. We're halfway done. Keep going. <laughs> like that kind of type, like that kind of type stuff all the time. You know, like if I would yeah. complain, it was too hot. He would lock me in the garage for like 20 minutes and be like, you're going to learn that you're not going to die in the heat just as hot. Like, oh my God. so he had the ability to make me uncomfortable uh, to learn like, you know, how life is, how the real world is. It just felt like, food was kind of always a sanctuary you know that was just yeah that was the untouched thing and even now in his age like he still understands how food works but he's just he continues to gain weight he was really really in shape in his early 20s um and then once he got married since then he's just kind of been progressively putting on a little bit of weight every year Dang, but no I it's uh it's, so long yeah he's he's definitely a heavier guy now he always he always holds it well but he's still definitely he's, he's much larger than i would like him to be and we've talked about it but because of because of that upbringing, it caused me to 
learn my own way to navigate nutrition is part of the reason why I'm so obsessed with it because it was such a, it's always been such a minefield and always will be, you know, if you have a, if you have a unique relationship with food or you have some kind of weird history or you just, you know that you don't eat like most people, um, you're going to have to figure out a way to manage that for the rest of your life. Like there is no, there is no going back to normal because you never were normal. Yeah. You know, and that goes, that goes with a lot of things too. Yeah. And it's kind of a interesting double-edged sword of your dad had all this information about health but he just wanted you to live your best food life. But it's like, I get you were trying to let me have those small moments of like happiness, but you ultimately caused a bigger issue and a bigger struggle when it comes to food. Yeah. It was his way of showing love, you know, like he'd, he'd pick me up. I'd, I'd spend half my time with him and half my time with my mom. And, you know, sometimes he'd pick me up uh, from my mom's house and he'd have like two chicken McNuggets ready to go fresh from McDonald's, like in the car and I'd eat them right then and there so it clearly was his way of like showing me affection you know how dads are my dad yeah. didn't say he loved me ever when i was a kid or like give me any hugs until i came back to the army and stuff like that so he was doing the best that he could and all worked out for the best so there you i'm go. not mad at him by any means so you you mentioned earlier something about um body standards for men can you talk to me about that some more yeah, um, I've been fascinated with body dysphoria in men because it's a very uh, recent thing that's kind of becoming a trend or becoming, um, I don't want to say normalized, but much more common. And it is a, to some degree becoming normalized, um, but much more common than it used to be. Anorexia was it used to be totally perceived as a female thing or just being yeah. upset with your body or trying to constantly stay thin. Um, and I didn't think people were aware of how that can be when you flip the genders. Um, and so I realized that from a very young age, or at least as soon as I started getting in shape and like actually looking objectively fit, I still hated the way that I look and thought that I was a million miles away from progress. And I started realizing that I have body dysphoria. Okay. Um, that's not like a victim thing. It's just like a legitimate, like I don't see my body, how other people see their bodies. Yeah. And it's very common in people who are obsessed with their physique. I mean, you kind of have to be. It's the same reason why someone who like some people have money dysphoria you know it's not it's, it's not really talked about like that but like you don't need to have 10 million dollars to your name in order to be a happy life but it doesn't stop a lot of people from still pursuing that goal gotcha. okay. and I, I think it has it started with my dad for sure um, and i think it started one generation before me but it's just become much more prominent and common now and if you think about what little girls look at as they're growing up, they look at Barbies, they look at, you know, women on television mm -hmm. and there's a, whatever it may be, whatever the look is at the time, cause it changes every couple of years, you know, the, the body goal, they build their idea of what they should look like um, and what they need to look like or what their true self looks like off of that stuff. Whereas men, yes. uh, we had comic books, we had video games, we have action heroes. Um, and so as a child who spent the vast majority of his free time uh, growing up playing video games, you know, reading comic books and seeing all of these literally larger than life cartoonish physiques, mm -hmm. my brain developed looking at these characters, especially in the video game. You know, when you spend a lot of your time projecting your own persona onto a character, especially like in a role playing game where you literally build this character from the ground up, you design how they look and what their eyes look like, their body shape, you develop your brain thinking that this is me. I don't look like myself in real life. I am, I am that character that has, you know, boulder shoulders and a rip six packs all the time and it's jacked out of his mind and can do anything so i'm i'm permanently adjusted to where if i'm not having that physique or not looking like that or feeling like you know that it's not me 
And I'm aware that it's not a realistic thing. I'm aware mm -hmm. of, you know, how, how unhealthy it can be. And I'm, I'm, that's the first step to managing stuff like that is just knowing, you know, yeah. how it affects you. But no, I think it's, uh, I think it's super interesting. And I, I would argue that nowadays it's, uh, it's as common as female body dysphoria. Yeah. Um, if not growing towards becoming possibly more common because there is a, a certain degree of like accepting the female body as it is, as it has been, you know, hypersexualized for, mm -hmm. for eons now. And now men are starting to think like, you know, especially in this weird, like, just gender climate that we're pushing themselves into, men are very much focused on like, what do I need to do to attract women? And one of the biggest things, I think you see that if you go on social media, it's just like any time a dude has a heartbreak, go to the gym. You're stressed yeah. out, go to the gym. It's just, <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's super interesting, and I'm wondering what the future is going to hold as far as that goes. Biggest worry for me is just uh, drug use in really young kids. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. And I guess I've never really thought about that of like girls look at Barbies and we see these super thin figures and guys look at comics and like, like you're saying with doing video games, like you create this character that's supposed to be you. And so you see yourself as this. I never thought about that or considered that I've never really played a bunch of video games, but that makes a lot of sense. It's like, what are you comparing yourself to? And what are you holding your standards to? And I feel like future years and growing up, like, guys don't have problems like that. Like, just be a man. Like, just go to the gym. Just pick up weights, you know? Like, you would never think of a, of a man having issues with how he sees his body. But, of course, like, of course it makes sense. Like, it's the exact same thing as women. And I think it's really cool that you want to talk about it and want to bring it up. And I never thought of that with the video games. That makes a lot of sense. And it's um, one of the things that, that I don't think a lot of people recognize is that, and this isn't to say that the, the mental, like, climate that you live in, you know, when you're when you're fighting that battle or that's, that's your life is just constantly trying to attain some, whether it's, you know, it's, I don't want to say anything's unrealistically attainable. It's about, like, the risk reward that you have to put in um, to get to that physique. But with women, for a lot of the times, it's, it's genetics, first off. Like, you can be born with a big butt, you can be born with big boobs. But beyond that, uh, if you if you know how to present yourself uh, in a decent manner, if you're not overweight, you know, and you're just simply in shape, like most guys don't need a woman to have any noticeable amount of muscle or need them to be toned. Yeah. It's literally just like, you know, do you look nice? Do you look like a sweet girl? Do you look like someone that's approachable and takes care of yourself? And you're typically not overweight. That's that's about all. Whereas for a man, yeah, most women and men kind of push this this body type to an extreme. They don't need to. It's why you hear the constant joke like. As soon as you get big, like no girls talk to you, it's just dudes asking you how much you bench all day. And it's very, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's very true. Um, it's a very true stereotype. Most women want a guy that's probably like, you know, 20 to 30% smaller than the dude actually wants to be. You know, or even most times, like where he is right there, like I find in my physique, more times than not, like, yeah, it grabs attention, but it kind of scares a lot of women. Yeah. Um, like they like it, but like they don't know how to feel about it. You know, it also has to do with like, the physical size thing, like a man that can physically overpower you, you know, easily is, is a lot of the times more scary for a woman and not really worth even engaging with. But that being said, in order for a man to get to that, you know, ideal and by ideal, I mean, like the one that everyone wants, you know, the rock physique, mm -hmm. you have to do dozens of cycles of even with drugs included um, of gaining weight intentionally putting on muscle mass lifting a certain way eating a certain way being patient being okay with putting on a little bit of body fat and then stopping 
um, dropping your food back down, increasing your cardio, trying to lose the body fat that you've gained so you've kept the muscle. So that's, that's essentially what the yin and yang of bodybuilding is. It's eating enough food to where you put on mass and then eating a small enough food to where you lose the fat and you keep the muscle mass. And that process takes much longer, it's much more extreme, and men are much more likely to reach out to exogenous hormones or other drugs yeah. um, or extreme forms of supplements to get there. That's not to say that women don't take equally extreme um, mm -hmm. avenues of approach sometimes, but if a guy decides to hop on testosterone you know, or start taking like SARMs, which are even worse in my uh, opinion, it's a, it's a much more hazardous route and there's much more, uh, yeah. much more side effects that he's going to have to deal with and just trying to get to what he thinks is an acceptable body, you know, his true self. What is your view on people having outside help and taking steroids and taking those drugs? What do you think of that? As uh, that's, well? a, that's a very loaded question. I think, I think for the most part, if you're, so bar none, if you're below the age of 25 and you, you haven't got your hormones checked um, and you don't really know like why you're doing it, you just want like an easy button, then that's, that's definitely a no. Um, if we're speaking about someone who's like, look, I've been bulking and cutting naturally for 10 years now. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to. My nutrition is dialed in. My lifting is dialed in. I've got a routine. It's absolutely a lifestyle, and you could not shake me from it if you wanted to. And I still want to get bigger than my natural limit. Then you're a full-grown, competent adult. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're able to give people who are 10 years old who can who shouldn't even be trusted with what they're going to wear or like what they're going to eat that day, if it's legally acceptable to give them hormones and permanently change their physiology in ways that no one can foresee, then it should be totally legal to give someone who's 25, whose brain's fully developed, who understands the decisions they're making and understands the consequences that that could entail, you know, it's fine for them. And especially if you look at the male testosterone levels across the world, they are dropping internationally. Even if you live in Papua New Guinea and the past two generations of your family have never even seen a cell phone, your testosterone's still gonna be measurably lower than your father's. Um, and I think that it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's very underrated testosterone in itself with regards to how it makes men feel and how much we need it to feel okay. And I think it's responsible for a lot of male depression and suicide nowadays. Yeah. So if you are someone that wants to optimize their mental health, that takes a step that goes through a doctor or TRT clinic, um, I think there's a lot more people that should be thinking, men in particular, that should be actually thinking about taking TRT, not for your muscles, not to get aesthetic, like, yeah, that's, that's one part of it, but it really is more from a, from a holistic standpoint. Um, and if you think about, okay, well, why is that? Like, why don't men have testosterone? Well, it's because they don't need it. Like, there's literally nothing that you do throughout your day uh, that requires you to be a man. You're not hunting, you're not fighting, you know, you're that not, you're not. Sense. You're not raising the village children, you know, because it used to be like, you know, one kid, like every every dad in the village is like their dad. They have a real dad, but like everyone raised them. Yeah. And so if your body detects that this hormone is a waste of energy, it's just not going to produce it. And then by the time, you know, you're 30 or something, like you don't know why you're depressed. You know, you don't know why you feel like crap. You don't know why your sex drive, you know, is so low. And I've had people that are genetic, like you remember Nick Rowland, my best friend growing yeah. up. You know the dude's six five. He, he the term built different. It, like he literally is built different. Like you've seen him. He doesn't he's look huge. like our species. No, yeah, like, he's it's not huge. just it's not just a tall dude that has muscles. Like his bone structure, like everything about him is different. He was putting up you know between four to six hundred pounds on like all of his big three lifts, squat, bench, deadlift. He was in high school as a natural. Even still, I talked to this guy about testosterone, and by the age of twenty eight. 
um, his levels were like one six of what the average should be. So if the average wow. is six to twelve hundred for healthy, his he was like one twenty eight. You know, and so you think if anyone's going to have high testosterone, it should be fine and doesn't need this. It's obviously this genetic anomaly, right? No, mm -hmm. even he became a victim to whatever it is that causes that. He jumped on TRT legally. He goes through a clinic and everything. They give him a pellet in his butt once every four months that like slowly breaks down and is a slow release hormone. He feels amazing. I've had friends that were male that hopped on it that went from being suicidal for years to like reinventing themselves and like, really? like living a different lifestyle. Yeah, it's... It's a miracle drug. If you had, if you told me, hey, you can pick one drug for the rest of your life, um, I would give up THC, I would give up caffeine, I would give up nicotine, and it would just be testosterone. Wow. Without that's, a doubt. That's crazy. I I heard on um, Joe Rogan, he was talking about how testosterone's dropping, but that was because of the foods that we're consuming and, and all the like processed things that they're talking about. I never thought about it from like, a natural tribal sense of our body just we're not doing what we were doing thousands of years ago so we're not surviving the same way and that's insane and I feel like especially for men like you're not talked about go check your hormones like maybe that's why you're being sad like that's always something that's talked about with women but not necessarily with men mm -hmm. and I think the food is a big deal I think there's there's a there's an infinite amount of like environmental variables that are all playing into this um, but I think that that probably is like the biggest one. I think it's just, there's no reason for it anymore. And, it's, and if you think about prison populations, like those dudes, they've done studies and some of those guys that go in as a natural, like in prison, they will have measurably like as high testosterone levels as, as some people who are actually on like exogenous hormones. So that environment, that environment changes everything. Like you get around a bunch of dudes where your life is constantly threatened. Your body can tell like what's going on in your environment and it starts to yeah. ramp up production for a survival thing. So there's definitely some proof out there to be fine for that theory. At least it is a theory. No one really knows, you know? So then are there things that people could do naturally or like day to day that could increase their testosterone levels? Yeah. Um, th the question is, is it worth it? And it's, and it's really about, it's really about frame of reference and context. So Let's say you're doing all the things you're supposed to do as a natural. Let's let's say your testosterone is is 200 ng over DL, which is is low, right? Most okay. most conventional doctors um, would not give you replacement therapy in that range because you have to be officially in the uh, the low the 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 2.5 percentile. So if you take okay. all of the American men, only 2.5 percent of them that are the absolute lowest would actually qualify for testosterone replacement therapy, and that's that's a no go in my mind. But Let's say you're eating your broccoli, you're getting lots of sleep, you know, you're meditating, you're, you're getting your vitamin D, you're getting your omega-3s, eating lots of beef, eggs, whatever. And then he also goes to his local GNC and buys the most expensive, like $80 natural test booster, right? Mm -hmm. And all of that gives him a net increase of twice the amount of testosterone. Sounds like a big deal, right? Yeah. Like getting double the amount of a hormone sounds like it'd be awesome. And it would have some, maybe some noticeable effect, but if your levels are only 200, and you double that, well, you're still only at four. And there's some other dude out there that naturally, without having to do any of that, drinks beer, smokes weed, doesn't get good sleep, doesn't work out. He's just a genetic freak, and he chills at 1,200 testosterone. So the, the question is, like, yes, you should absolutely try and do all the things that you can. Maybe not so much for your, your testosterone, isoterically, like just that, but just so you're, you feel better. But really, if you don't know where your levels are at, you might kind of be wasting your time by not just going to a doctor or looking for some legal avenue to get TRT. 
Interesting. That told, so what is, what's the average um, testosterone level? Like where, where should you be to be considered healthy? Uh, I think a, a natural male, the average range is, is around, this was supposed to be average. I'm not sure what it actually is. And I haven't looked at any of these stats in years, um, but it's supposed to be somewhere between like, I want to say four to 800. Um, and then like a thousand or 1200 is like a, a actually feel like a man range. I think men should, I think most men should experience what a thousand testosterone feels like, like up to 1200 um, before they decide like what they want to do. You know, that's, that's what I cruise at. I take 125 milligrams of test E um, twice a week. And that puts my levels around like 900 to 1200. And that's the sweet spot for me. Bodybuilders who are trying to like, here's a, here's a crazy frame of reference. There's a guy that died about six years ago named Dallas McCarver. He's one of the biggest bodybuilders that ever lived. Okay. Um, when he died, he died from choking on food in his kitchen. It had nothing to do with his drug use. Oh. It had nothing to do with anything. He literally, 2 a.m., by himself, went to go get a snack or something, choked. No one was there to help him. Died. Tragic. Oh, my God. But they did a autopsy um, to figure out, you know, what was going on with him to see if the hormones were part of it. And this wasn't a toxic range. This wasn't doing anything um acutely negative for his health the key word there no one can sustain this but if a if a high range uh for a natural male the sweet spots twelve thousand or sorry twelve hundred this guy was at fifty five thousand what the fuck fifty five thousand ng over do so that tells you that you can you can take quite a bit of testosterone for quite a while um and be mostly healthy obviously no one should ever go above that 1200, 1500 range, you know, unless you're trying to like get ready for a movie or a bodybuilding show, or you, you fully are aware of what you're doing, you know, and you have like accountability and a coach maybe, and you're getting blood work all the time. Mm -hmm. But that is to say that testosterone, you can arguably kind of abuse um, for lack of a better term and still get away scot-free for the most part. So okay. I think, I think as a natural, a natural person or someone who's trying to attain or like imitate natural levels artificially, 1200 a thousand something like that so you um you you said that all men should experience what it feels like to be at 12,000 what does that feel like and like what's that difference of having that much increased testosterone 1200 just to be clear I, I said 12,000 so that's my fault sorry <laughs> that's my fault uh, be careful with these numbers so when I when I first hop on, this is something I've seen uh, people do, or that people that I've you know seen get administered testosterone for the first time. It feels like you're going through puberty again as an adult, okay. um, and that's it's weird, but it feels amazing. Like you're, I was going through. I was actually in the army when I started. And I was going through a training cycle for the Continental Color Guard, which is a specialty platoon um, that bears the flags. We do like we hold the American flag and the army flag at all the big government ceremonies in D.C. And these guys could not get to me mentally if they wanted to. I was, even though we were doing stuff that sucked, we were holding flags for hours a day, mm -hmm. you know, we we're doing three hour straight stands and like sauna room just to test our standing ability. I was having a blast. I, <laughs> I, I, I looked forward to them fucking with me because I felt so mentally, like I wasn't a dickhead, you know, I wasn't like, I wasn't making crass jokes or just like being obnoxious and that can happen sometimes with people especially if it's like wow i've never felt this confident before they kind of lean into it a little bit okay. um but it your, your your sex drive goes up and not in an unmanageable way your sleep gets better your strength goes up your ability to recover in the gym gets better um you just wake up feeling better throughout the day but the biggest thing probably is what i call tender aggression 
So okay. aggression nowadays can kind of, it gets a bad rap, uh, but there is a place uh, for being aggressive and it also depends on how you do it. So when I say tender aggressive, I don't mean like, I'm gonna get out of my car and try and fight some dude because of, you know, mm -hmm. a traffic thing or like, I'm gonna yell at some guy in public or I'm gonna like say a mean joke. I mean like, I'm gonna tell my wife, you know, that I don't like when she talks to me like that and we're gonna have a conversation about a relationship or I'm gonna talk to my boss about how he talks to me, you know, or okay. I'm gonna stand up for myself um, in line because this guy is, is, is harassing this woman and no one else is gonna say something. So I'm gonna step up and do something. It makes you feel grounded it makes you feel confident it makes you feel secure with yourself less stuff bothers you i've literally had dudes like become undiagnosed with bipolar disorder really? because they hop on testosterone yeah guys you're like dude i i had this guy um that i talked to about it who had a tumor in his left arm when he was a child and it ended up really like disfiguring his left arm and i met him at the gym and so his left arm was like half the size like in length and in girth than his right arm and he was always super insecure about it he okay. would never go to other gyms. He would like, he would get, he told me he would come home and like yell at his girlfriend or his mom because he'd have all this pent up insecurity and anxiety from yeah. being out in public. And then whenever he got home and felt safe, like he would let it out and like they'd be his emotional punching bag. Mm -hmm. He said all of that stopped completely. He started going to other gyms and working out. Like wow. he, he told me a story about he went to a gym he'd never been to. He'd always wanted to go to and some big bodybuilder guy came up to him and was like, you're fucking awesome, man. I love what you're doing here. Like, it's so cool to see you kicking Aww. ass. And like, that made him like cry because he never thought he'd be able to go and like be himself in a different yeah. place. So it's it really is a miracle drug for a lot of intents and purposes. It gets a bad rap on like the roid rage thing. All of that stigma is is just because people, especially Americans, think more is always better. Yeah. Um, and if you're taking a lot of something that that's powerful and you're not taking, you know, for instance, an estrogen blocker, if you need it, or you're taking too much, like we know how men can be. It's like, oh, I found the thing that's a quick fix. I'm just going to take all of it. I'm invincible. <laughs> I'm 22. I'm fine. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then they're, then they're raging out in the car or something and they don't understand why. And then everyone else is sure that they jumped on gear and then they just blame steroids, you know? Yeah. When in reality, you're, you're probably a little bit of a dick in the first place. And then when you, <laughs> you don't, it's just like alcohol, you know, like you yeah. get people who are assholes when they get on alcohol, so they're probably more of an asshole. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I think most men should at least do research into um, and, and absolutely talk to somebody that knows what they're, knows what they're doing about it. That is so cool. I did not know a lot of that. And that's, that's really awesome how it can help you like not only with your looks, but like help you with your brain as well and like make you feel better and just make you an overall better person. Now, mm -hmm. this, I, I... go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, so now this might be a silly question, but women can't take testosterone, right? Like there's not no. a supplement or anything like that that <laughs> could help women do something like that. No, if, if you're a woman and you're listening to this, if you're, if you're a woman, if you're a woman and you're listening to this, uh, do not take testosterone if you have access to it. There is there is no small amount that you should take. Like the the levels that females need to maintain like a healthy a healthy ratio of testosterone to estrogen is is so much smaller than men. There's really no there's no reason for them. Like there's no like physiological or like hormonal justification to get on exogenous hormones for women or at least on testosterone. Okay. But also even if you were, there would be no amount that you could take. Um, that would have any positive side effects. So if, if, and this is one of the reasons why bodybuilding is very unique when it comes to the genders. Um, 
I won't talk about what it is. There's really only like a handful of, of, of supplements or, or drugs that women can take healthily in the bodybuilding sphere. And that has a lot to do with how their bodies handle hormones. And when you get women on testosterone, um, the side effects can be permanent. Whereas with a man, you know, if he gets male pattern baldness or he gets acne or he gets like, you know, some emotional um, deviation or any of that bad stuff, he can hop off. And for the most part, the vast majority, if not all of it, will go away by itself or can be treated by some other counteractive drug or treatment. If a woman gets on testosterone or any other androgynous hormone, say for instance, Anivar is a big one and takes too much of it, she can get hair growth um, that will not go away, jaw growth that will not go away, voice deepening that will not go away, clit growth that will not go away. Um, All of that stuff is because women aren't built to hold that much testosterone, which is why when you see, like not to get off topic, but when you see transgender people do hormone therapy, women typically can always um, trans over to being a man uh, because it, it it's harder to start as a man and then take estrogen because your bone structure is still going to be there. Your hair is still going gotcha. to be there. Like your voice deepness is still going to be there. Whereas if you're a woman and you're starting where your bone structure is smaller, and everything is like lighter, so to speak, mm-hmm. like your voice is lighter, your, your, your physiology is lighter, you can get heavier in all of those regards permanently, and it will look more natural, whereas a man will never be able to change, you know, a man that's transferring to a woman will never be able to change how their hands look, you know, or their jaw, yeah. or like their, their how, how wide their shoulders are, you know, and stuff like that. So there are things that women can take, um, and I think that if you're curious about optimizing your hormones as a woman, the first place you should look is at, if you're taking birth control, what that's doing to you, what the studies say about the type that you're taking, um, and maybe potential alternatives to birth control, or maybe just getting off for certain periods of time and just seeing how you feel. It's crazy to think that your jaw could grow. Like what? That is like, would it just get longer or is it like a wider thing? Like how does that change your jaw? Both. So if you look at a, if you look at like female bodybuilders, they actually completely got rid of like the female, there's a bunch of different divisions and bodybuilding is typically like the biggest, most muscular one. Uh, I want to say like 10 years ago, they got rid of the female division uh, purely because of like the stigma that those women were bringing to the sport and God bless their hearts. Like I don't judge them whatsoever. Like you're an adult, you do whatever you want. If that's, you know, how you feel best in your life and more power to you. I'm happy for you. Yeah. But the sport itself thought that like, those androgynous changes that were appearing in their athletes were, were bad for optics. You know, like you can't make as much money if it's not as mainstream. So they came yeah. out with the men's physique division. They came out with the bikini division. They've recently came out with the female wellness division, which I love. What's um, that? I haven't heard that before. Uh, the wellness division. So with women, um, is another thing that's different between men and women when it comes to bodybuilding. You guys are, are by default supposed to have a higher body fat percentage. Yes. And that is so you can always uh, maintain the ability to grow a baby mm-hmm. inside of you. You need more fuel, which is in the form of fat on your body. Uh, so in case you do get pregnant, you can give that body food or they give that baby food. Mm-hmm. When So a, a woman should probably like the healthiest body fat percentage a woman can go to is probably like 20% before they start like getting maybe a little too lean, like maybe down to 15 for some people, if you're like a genetic anomaly. <laughs> Men for a bodybuilding show can get down, like should probably be between 5% and 8%. And yeah, oh, wow. they'll they'll feel like crap, they'll, 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 they'll be sucking, but their body's like endocrine system um, and everything is just built to be in a, not healthy, but a healthier place when they sustain that. Whereas a woman gets below like 
if she starts getting down to that percentage, like by the time she's at 10, she's probably not having her period anymore, which means that your body has detected that there's objectively not enough fat on you to sustain a child. There's no point in spending all this energy in your menstrual cycle. And so that goes away. And like, okay. As a thing in isolation, you know, it's, it's, I haven't experienced it, but I could probably assume it's not the worst thing. Like maybe some girls would prefer to have, to not have their period, but it is kind of indicative that this is not as healthy for women. Yeah. That being said, they came out with the wellness division, um, which emphasizes not having such a big upper body, which is how women are naturally. They have bigger legs relative to their upper body that mm -hmm. has to do with the androgen receptors, um, that men have that women don't have as many of, and they're not supposed to be as lean. So that's why I like it because it's called it's called wellness and it's kind of exactly what it means. You look more like a woman. You have bigger legs, a thicker butt, bigger thighs, and your upper body does not have to match. You gotcha. don't you're not required to be symmetrical because if if you're a girl and you already have muscular legs and we all know most chicks love training their legs just like most guys love training their arms, mm -hmm. then in order for you to balance out your physique and look like a complete package on stage conventionally. You need to probably hop on hormones to get those androgens in your upper body to pop so you look balanced so you create that perfect x-frame figure gotcha. but if, if you're not on hormones you can have a well-developed upper body and still look proportionate but have your legs stay bigger yeah does that make sense yeah okay interesting huh changing the game and mixing it up so then what what is the body fat that those women would get to in that category I want to say like, I want to say they're, I, I'm not sure I'm kind of speaking out of my ass here, but I want to say they're probably floating closer to like 15%. So it's still lean, mm -hmm. you know, for a woman, but it's not dangerously lean. Yeah. You know? Okay, cool. So then you've competed a bunch, right? You've been doing that for the past couple of years. I have done three shows. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a bunch, but I've definitely done it a, a good amount. Yes. To get a taste for it, to understand what it is. What got you into competing? Um, I think for me, it was something that I always wanted to do. I actually, right before I joined the army, I almost joined a bodybuilding team when I was working at the moon Valley LA fitness in Arizona. Um, and then I got into the army and then my last year in the army, I decided I wanted to do a show for myself. And I think the biggest reason, um, and this seems to be what pushes most people. Like if you're just around a bunch of bodybuilders and you work out, that's, you know, just your environment, they're probably going to kind of not only said peer pressure you, but they're going to, they're going to talk to you about it and they're going to make you yeah. feel like it's something you should do. And you might want to, but for me, it was, I'm already doing all of these things, um, that a bodybuilder does. You know, I track all of my calories. I do my cardio. Um, I, I'm trying to build a developed balanced physique. The only thing I'm not doing is posing. So okay. if, if all it takes is me adding in a couple of extracurricular activities like posing or tanning, or just, you know, looking at my physique in the mirror with more scrutiny, why not you know why not yeah. just try and see it see if i like it it's just it's just a cool idea to say you know i competed as a bodybuilder yeah and then once you do it you kind of most people kind of catch the bug there's very few people that do it and then don't immediately like want to get their pro card or want to do it again um or just want to be more consistent about it and i think it's uh personally i think it, it mentally it comes down to that external validation you know like yes. No matter how good I look, no matter you know how awesome my pictures are or whatever, if I if I stand you know literally in front of 500 people in my underwear or in board shorts, you know mostly naked, and you know looking for their approval, if they say good job, you look great, then I can kind of put that in the bank in my head and be like, no matter what my brain tells me, you know I got third place at a competition, so I must not look that bad. Yeah. 
You know, I think that's what it comes down to for a lot of people is like they know they're never going to be able to approve of themselves and they're looking for it somewhere else. And if the bodybuilding community thinks that you look good, well, then you probably look pretty good. Yeah. You know? So then what are some negative sides that you've seen to doing your um, doing your competitions? The biggest negative, um, I would say, and this is uh, coming from someone who's done multiple uh, has an, a very extreme relationship with food for good and for as, as equally great as like terrible. Um, and as someone who's coached people through multiple shows, I think it's the, 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 the risk at messing up your relationship with food. And it's, okay. it's kind of something that you have to risk because you, this is something everyone experiences when they go through their first contest prep, which is getting ready for your first show, which is getting as shredded as you need to get you are not doing something that is healthy and your body will be telling you that the whole time. Like you'll get to a point okay. where you're lean and you look good and then your calories drop again, you know, and as a six foot three, like regularly, like 220 to 40 pound guy, you know, I'm eating 1600, 1700 calories a day for my last like a month of the show doing up to two hours of cardio with two hours of weight training, Oof. trying to get in, you know, 15,000 to 20,000 steps per day and going about my regular, like, you know, job or school or whatever it may be. So it really comes down to consuming such a small amount of food on a daily basis for months on end that you become, um, you start to re literally romanticize food. And I mean that like actually literally, like you will have dreams, you will have wet dreams about donuts, you will, you will not want to have sex, like I'm serious, like I didn't have sex with my girlfriend at the time for like two months, the whole time it was happening, uh, my clients have reported the same thing, like dudes that are typically, you know, dogs, like want to get laid all the time, no desire, they just forget about the gender completely, they don't want to interact with them, there's nothing there for them, and then you start to see food in a different way and the danger is that when you're done with that show when you no longer have that obligation to look good naked in front of thousands of people uh all bets are off you know like yeah. you get back from the show that weekend you know you had a little bit of cheap food there to celebrate but all of a sudden you're sitting in your apartment you know it's 8 p.m you don't have work the next day fuck it i'm getting dominoes and a gallon of ice cream and you yeah. you don't do it you don't do it for the taste. You don't do it for the experience. You simply do it because you haven't been able to. Because you can't. And that's what's on. Yeah. And your your rhythms, your your ability to listen to your body, you know, your full, like your, your your satiation signals, like all of that's fucked. Like I, I have eaten to the point where I can feel my abdominal wall like damn near tearing, like literally feeling like muscle strains in my abs, like yeah. from how much my stomach is full. And I would throw up and then go back for more you know, a couple hours yeah. later or something like that. So that's, that's probably the biggest risk. Like the drug use is always something you got to worry about, but really if you're not trying to like get your pro card or you haven't been doing it for years, even if you do a bunch of dumb shit, like just one time, it's probably not going to have any long-term effects, but you can absolutely permanently change your relationship with food by doing just one show. Maybe it won't be that bad if you do one show, but if you, even if you're an amateur, even if you don't want your pro card, even if you're just like, you know, kind of casual relative to how many other people are super serious about it, you can still very seriously mess up your, uh, your outlook on food. So then what do you do to try to help yourself transition back into eating normally and not eating in the show foods? What, what steps can you take? I mean, it's, it, 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 it's different depending on the person. 
Um, for me, a lot of the times it really does come down to like, I'm just going to literally eat myself to oblivion. I'm going to eat all the bad food I want, you know, for a couple of days straight. And then eventually I'm going to crave healthy food. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're a kid, you know, parents would be like, oh, you want to smoke cigarettes? Smoke this whole carton, you know, <laughs> or you want to get drunk? Let's drink this whole thing of vodka. And you have that negative experience. You know, you have that, that frame of reference, like, okay, I, I know where I'm going if I start down this road and I don't want to do that. But for a lot of people, like uh, my best friend, Sean, I trained him through his first show. He's always had a great relationship with food. He needs to eat more vegetables and fruit. You know, it's something we worked on and he's doing way better now, now that I've been coaching him. But we, uh, we went and did his show together and we got a hotel together. It was uh, like a couple hours away from Portland, Oregon. And I ended up eating way more food that night after the show than he did. Like we had, uh, we had PDX cookie co. So these like 700 calorie cookies, we had two pizzas, we had, you know, if it's a kind of junk food, we had it, you name it. There was a whole table that was stacked with it. I remember him falling asleep like two hours before me (laughs) and me staying up just so I could finish my food, which was like a sign that even though he was in the throes of it and had all the reason to binge eat harder than I did, because of who I am, given that mm. opportunity, I still ate more than him. And in the weeks following, he was fine. Like, yeah, he had bad food now and then, but he would make he'd make a single like batch of cookies last like two weeks, and he'd spread them with his friends. Wow. You know, he had a little bit here, a little bit there, and he did fine. He didn't go through any huge weight gain period. He put on a little bit of weight, but it was what we wanted. It was what we expected. Okay. I think like once he got a little bit too thick, and then like a week or two of just pulling back on the reins, and he was back to normal. So it can. It can be as simple as like, hey, eat whatever the fuck you want. Know that you're going to feel terrible. Know that you're not going to like how you look. And then once you get to that point, you'll start craving healthy food. Or uh, it can be, hey, we're just going to slowly increase your food over the next couple of weeks to get you back to normal. That way you don't put a lot of weight. Uh, you're not allowed to binge. You can have some fun on the weekend. Um, and it, it really comes down to person by person. I would say the only thing that you can do that you can really count on is just know that you will get to a point where you have to treat food differently. That's it. Yeah. Just just accept that when I finish the show, there's going to be a huge risk in me building an unhealthy relationship with food for a little bit, and I've got to figure out how to handle that. That's it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about binge eating, because I know that's something that we've both struggled with, and you've really helped me with and worked through it. And I feel like, or I I know I'm in a lot a lot better place with it. I haven't been binging lately and purging, but I just want to kind of talk with you about your journey with that and what triggers you and how you get through those moments and how it all works out for you and where you are now with it. So binge eating, um, and to like to summarize it and then start with the most, I think like important thing to remember when it comes to binge eating is that food is a drug. Um, it's not, yes. it's not something that most people think about as a drug, but it is absolutely a drug. Um, meaning as a, it functions as a drug for a lot of people, not everybody, but it functions as a drug for me. It's absolutely a drug. Like if it, if it totally. came down to, if I'm, if I'm sad, um, or I'm just in a really bad state, I am, I am not going to want to go out and drink. I'm not going to want to go do a bunch of Molly, you know, or a bunch of crazy stuff. I'm going to want to sit in my house and watch a movie um, or just throw YouTube on for endless amounts of time and just sit there and pace myself and eat as much food as I can. Yep. Because that's what makes me feel good. And I wake up yep. hungover the next day. I wake yes. up mentally feeling guilty and terrible. I physically feel like shit. I don't want to do anything. Um, and it, it's just as bad, if not worse, a lot of the times than uh, actually being drunk or actually being too high because you can feel 
your guilt in your stomach, like your body yes. feels disgusting, you know, like you hate yourself, you don't want to look at yourself. So that's number one is that understand that if you have like toxic traits when it comes to how you handle food, you need to perceive it as you have a drug abuse problem. That's going to be the fastest, most serious way to conceptualize it. I think that's a great way to go about it because food is definitely a drug and it definitely stimulates your brains in certain ways, but it's a short high. It's a really short high and a really long hangover that makes you feel so shitty. And it's just this downward spiral every single time it happens. Mm -hmm. And never, it's, it's never, you never are happy about it. I've never had a time when I did it and it was like, okay, even, even the times when it was modest, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was like, fuck, like, if I practice that degree of, you know, self-control and moderation, why did I do it in the first place? Why kind of just not binge at all? Mm -hmm. uh, and then on top of that, you have to, you have to be aware of like what your cues are, what kind of foods you like, when you like to eat them and how you're realistically going to go about navigating that. Because yeah. the second thing after recognizing that food is a drug is that the minute that you tell yourself, I'm bad if I have this and I'm not allowed to have this, what do you want? What are you thinking about? Where that, is your mind? That item, yes. that food. Yes. <laughs> so the the extreme um, restriction or like the, the seeing food as morally, you know, bad or good or like even the word like cheating on your diet, I think needs to go away. You know, it's not good to cheat on your spouse. It's not good to cheat on your test. It's not good to cheat literally anywhere else. So we need to abandon this idea that you can cheat on your diet. Yeah. Right? Definitely. So. What works for me as far as binge eating um, is first off, like eating regular meals throughout the day. Okay. Intermittent fasting has picked up a lot of track in the past couple of years, and for good reason. I think a lot of people, um, there was kind of a, the, 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 the stick, or not the stigma, the uh, status quo was you need to eat all the time, otherwise you're just going to die. Yeah. Right? You're going to pass out or something, and that's objectively not true. Fasting is a wonderful tool for lots of things, whether it be weight loss, whether it be hormonal stuff, whether it be a sickness you're having, there's a lot of reasons that you should fast. But if you are not careful, and especially if you have a relationship with food like we do, mm -hmm. that fasting will eventually turn into a way to justify binging. Yes. Uh, and even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, you can absolutely fast for 22 hours a day, only eat for two hours and still gain weight, Yep. like noticeably gain weight, right? And that comes down to the palatability of foods, um, how a lot of foods are kind of like cheat codes for the body. Like it's it's just it's in forms that it naturally doesn't exist in. So your body's like, oh my god, this is this is nutritional gold here. There's like mm -hmm. nothing but fat and nothing but sugar, and there's no fiber, and it's so digestible and tastes so good. It's got salt. It's got every spectrum of deliciousness that you could possibly put in the food. That's not normal. Like that shouldn't exist. And there's a reason why we yeah. can't control ourselves and get around that because it is like, you know, a very specifically custom built drug mm -hmm. to make you want more of it and more of it and not feel the effects until it's too late. So if you're fasting, just be aware that you could very quickly turn that into a binge restrict cycle like we were talking about. Um, the other thing that really helps me and I find helps a lot of people. And I think this is something that I talked about with you or like a, a, a method that we implemented with you and your routine is that if you know you're gonna binge, if you know you are gonna really want to, cause we all wake up in the morning feeling like we can do whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like today's a new day or, or when you lay down at night, like I'm not, I'm not doing that tomorrow. That's great and that's easy to have that thought because there's no investment required in the moment. You can think about, you can think that you're going to become the next Elon Musk in the morning because there's yeah. nothing you can do about it while you're lying in bed. You know, yeah. there's no, there's no actionable thing to do. It's just a thought. 
But if you know for sure that you are going to try and find some way to wiggle out of that box that you try and put yourself in every day, find some way to binge or find some way to justify whether it's having a bad day or I'll do more exercise tomorrow. If you feel that sensation coming, get food that is a compromise between the actual thing you want to eat and what you know you should be eating. Yes. Right? Like for me, ice cream, and yeah, and you know this, ice cream is is my is my is my my uh my my vice, I guess you could say. Like that that gloopy, sugary, <laughs> just just that's that 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 dream sludge of a food, you know, is my weakness. And so what I have to do is find like lower calorie ice cream, like Halo Top or Eat Enlightened. Yes. There's there's a countless companies nowadays that come out with ice cream that tastes almost like the real thing like close enough like you're really not going to know the difference but it has a fraction of the calories or has much more protein and isn't just going to completely destroy your body um so for some people it's savory stuff you know like if you really want pizza or lasagna at night you've got to find like cauliflower crust you know or just thin mm-hmm. crust pizza instead of regular one figure out small steps that you can take and prepare if you just get to nine o'clock at night and you've got three hours before bedtime and you're hungry, you know, you might just, if you don't have anything in your house, if it's nothing but healthy food and you really want bad food, I'll, I'll spend $30 and go puff, you know, an Oreo ice cream cake and yep. eat the whole thing by myself. So you, it's just like drugs too. You can't go cold turkey. You have to replace it with something. So if you're in a binge restrict cycle right now, don't try and stop yourself from binging. Just change the foods that you're eating to where you can still kind of eat for an extended indefinite period of time you know but if i have three pints of ben and jerry's a whole bag of salt and vinegar chips and a and a, and a, a domino's pizza ready to go you know there's really no way that i'm going to be able to eat any amount of that and like get the experience that i'm looking for without feeling like crap but if i have a thin crust you know california crust or california kitchen pizza ready to go if I have two pints of Halo Top, if I have some fruit as topping, if I have vegetables to fill myself up with in between, you know, and then I have like a, a small bag of protein chips. Yeah, you're probably still eating too much in one sitting. It's not the best, but it's still way better than what yeah. you were going to originally do, you know? Definitely. And I think I think it's so much more about the act, the experience of being like, ah, oh, I can sit down. I have nothing to do but to stare at a screen and escape my life through food and entertainment. Like if you can do that in a somewhat healthy way, I think you're not going to want to continue to binge. Like, yeah, you might eventually, it's always going to be a threat. It's always something you have to worry about. And that's, that's a whole different conversation. But I really think if you've got this way that you to, if you've got this way to check that box without feeling guilty about it and you physically feel okay, you're doing the best you can. Yeah. And I would say, Having those snacks ready is what made a big difference for me because I get very hyper fixated on a certain part of food. So like with pizza, I love the cheese. Like I love it when pizza sat for like 10 minutes or so and it's kind of started to like cool down and you get that gooiness of it. And I just hyper fixate on that part of the food or if it's like baked goods, the like texture of the cake in my mouth or whatever. But if I start to find myself going to that mindset and starting to kind of fall off that wagon. I know that I have snacks in my cabinet that it's like, okay, I'm going to eat rice, the rice cakes or whatever. I'm going to have some oatmeal or I'm going to do some fruit and just having something that you can still binge on, but it's not that pizza. It's not that cake. It's not that ice cream. It's something a little better really made that difference for me. Cause I would just not have food or I would have foods in my house, but like not have the foods that I want. So then I would go out and get it. 
and it's like, well, now I'm, you know, spending more money on gas or I'm going through like um, Uber Eats and getting food that way and spending more money, then I feel bad about it because I spent money on it and now I feel bad because I ate it. So it's like to have those things to help catch yourself and be your own security blanket made a big difference with me. Yep. And you, you identifying like that specific thing that you like about food, like that's amazing. Like that's, that's what it is. And for me, it's sweet stuff. Oh, I like love it's sweets. that, it's oh. that, it's that sweet, creamy, like crunchy bite through of like ice cream with toppings on it. And like to what you said about like going out and spending all this money, you know, when you blow all this money on food and, and we all know if you've been in this mindset, like every day is the last day, you know, every time that you press, you know, you hang yep. up the phone after ordering that pizza or you get home and you put that ice cream and you're like, oh, I can't wait to eat this. And I'm I'm more excited than usual because this is the last time. You know, I'm not yep. doing this anymore. Which <laughs> means that you're going <laughs> to, for me, I'm going to want to eat all of it. I'm not going to want to eat two-thirds of a pint of Ben and Jerry's and mm-hmm. wake up in the morning and have the rest. Like, because I'm, at least for the next, you know, 24 hours or whatever, I'm not going to binge. I might binge the next night after that. But at least when I'm at that night in that moment, I want to finish it all. You know, like this is this is my time to do it, and you can do that literally thousands of times, an infinite amount of times, and every time that you come to that point where you're like, "This is the end," it always feels real. You really, you you always believe yep. yourself in that moment. Like, no, I'm actually telling the truth. I'm not bullshitting. I will stop tomorrow. It's like you can feel like the motivation for the next day, but then once again, once it comes down to that next day, then more than likely, if you haven't prepared, you're gonna do it again. And the cycle just <coughs> continues and you almost get like a high from it of being like, okay, I am justifying eating this whole pizza because I'm not going to do this again. This is the last time. And you get this like pump from it almost. And you're like, yeah, I can do it. And, and then the next day you're like, well, I mean, it's like Friday and then it's the weekend. So I could just do it like mm-hmm. one more time. And then I could just start on Monday and like, okay, fine. I'm mm-hmm. just going to get that pizza. I'm going to get those cookies. It's like, no, like, smaller portions try to moderate have those snacks have like drink more water (laughs) you know put more things in your body to try and fill you up and just kind of get you off those tracks is like I said I get hyper fixated on things and it literally feels like if I don't consume it I'm gonna die and I'm just gonna go crazy because it's all I can think about Mm -hmm. like the idea of me going to bed like I've, I've done it a handful of times and I mean that word a handful of times the idea of me going to bed without finishing my day with something sweet is like almost inconceivable for me. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be like I'm at a friend's house or I'm like at some kind of event or I'm spending the night like at a hotel or something for me. To, and even then I will try my damnness to find some type of thing I can grab and bring back with me or some yep. type of sweet food to bring to my friends. And in that moment when you're telling yourself like this is really the last time, remember that you're lying to yourself. Like you are not <laughs> – you are not yourself. Yes. That little voice is going to find, it's like fucking Sneagol from Lord of the Rings. Like it's going to lie to you and pretend to be nice to you and be My conniving and tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Like, no matter what it has to do to get that fixed. And that's, I, I think that's, that's a big thing. It's just like being aware of how much bullshit you can feed yourself every day yeah. because you can feel when it's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you can, you can, you can totally, you can totally entertain the idea like we were talking about of being entirely done with this, being sick of, 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 of feeling like this, hating yourself, being guilty, and also like knowing that you're going to do it tomorrow. Like you yeah. can tell yourself this is absolutely my last day doing it and still have a little pebble you know, of toxicity in your mind that's like, nope, but I'm still going to do it tomorrow. Yep. Like that's a double thing. You know? And I think a big part of it too is 
realizing what causes you to go off the deep end. Like I've learned and as much as it makes me sad, but I cannot eat cannabis like gummies, baked goods. I just can't do it because it gets me too high and I am just so stoned. And then I get in this mindset of I get really fixated on textures and I just want to put everything in my mouth and eat it. So after Mm -hmm. doing this for years of just getting super high off of eating some brownie and then eating my entire kitchen, it's like, okay, I can't eat those gummies. Like as much as I would love to and be like super stoned right now, like I know it's going to cause me to binge and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and feel terrible. So it's figuring out what causes you to go off that deep end and trying not to do that or going about them different or like just smoke flour. Even when it comes to doing dabs, like dabs are not as bad as when I um, eat eat cannabis, but it's almost up there at times. And there's definitely been times where I've dabbed out way too much and I've been just a blob of a human and I just consume everything. So it's like, I'm just going to smoke flour, joint, joints and bowls and blunts and not actually do the other things because I've learned that I can't control myself. And it's crazy because I have this voice in my head that's like, eat all the food, blah, 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 blah. And then I have this really tiny voice that's like, what are you doing? Stop it. And it's like the more that I eat and the more food I put in my body, it just like covers that voice. (laughs) It just gets quieter and quieter. Yeah, you're too far gone. You're too far gone at this point. What's the point? If I've already eaten 2,000 calories I didn't plan on, what's another 1,000? Fuck it, just going to send it. Especially if you're conscious about your body fat gain, like that's such a dangerous territory to get into because like you can – you can, no matter who you are, you can absolutely eat a deceivingly high amount of calories. You know, like they came out with like the 10,000 calorie challenge, which was on YouTube for a while, which is, you know, not the best thing in the world, but like it makes sense why it got popular because the same reason people like mukbangs. I could do that challenge in, if I really wanted to, two hours. Like, not like give me a jar of peanut butter, give me a thing <laughs> of donuts, give me a gallon of ice cream, you know, and a pizza from Domino's with all the toppings on it. I won't feel good. But I could easily do 10,000 pounds. That's almost three pounds of body fat. Literally three pounds of body fat in two hours if I wanted to, right? How long is it going to take to burn? It's going to take me most probably if I'm not doing anything that's really extreme, like cardio-wise, it's going to take me a week, uh, modestly, maybe up to two weeks to actually get my body fat down to a normal degree. And who wants to wait that long? So you're probably going to, especially if you're in like an exercise mindset, this is where it gets dangerous too. Um, on top of like taking drugs or drinking or doing anything that's going to literally change your like brain chemistry. Like you cannot say that I'm going to be able to drink this beer or I'm going to be able to have this edible or, or do this dab and I will not binge eat or I will not have food cravings because your brain mm-hmm. will be objectively different. Like yeah. you will be thinking differently. Certain parts will turn on more. Certain parts will turn off. And inhibition is a reason why people like to party and drink and smoke because it makes risky behaviors much more likely to happen. Yes. And so you cannot say to yourself, I'm going to have – and if you combine that with you know, if you're someone that does work out or does have some semblance of control over the diet or does take – like does have autonomy over themselves, it can be even more dangerous. You know, like people look at me and are like, oh, what are you talking about? Like every time I'm – you know, if I'm playing Xbox, I'm like, oh, I'm about to eat a pizza or I just ordered some bad food I shouldn't. All of my buddies are like, bro, we talking about your rip. Like, you deserve, you deserve to have this whenever you want, man. You can yeah. have a pizza. In it. No, dude, you don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. I do this once a week, you know, every week at the bare minimum, and like, it's not good for me. And so, other people can kind of be your enemies in that regard. Yeah. If you perceive yourself or other people perceive you as someone that has your shit together in any way, shape, or form, 
Yep. They're not going to be the ones that hold you accountable. They're going to love you. They're going to want you to feel good. They're going to want to support you. You know, they're not going to resist you when you have these self-critical thoughts. And that's kind of like a, the social climate nowadays too, is like love yourself, treat yourself. And that's all great and good, but you still need to be where the buck stops and no yep. one else will ever be able to do that for you. And the chances are, if you're having a thought that's telling you like, mm, I don't trust myself, mm, I don't know if I can do this, even if it's a small thought like you were talking about, like it's a tiny voice, that's probably the, the reality voice. That's probably yeah. the voice that you should listen to. Yeah, and I feel like it's almost a double-edged sword, like being your body type with, and me being tall. Like I, I've definitely gotten more fit lately, but when we make comments about having these problems with foods and how like we shouldn't be doing this people are like what are you talking about you're super ripped you're super tall like you're not fat like you can go ahead and do that and you're like no you don't understand my brain <laughs> like I mm -hmm. can't do it like it's not okay they're like what are you talking about like how can you be concerned about gaining weight like you're so thin you're so tall you're so buff it's like you have no idea what's going on in my head like the battles that I deal with every single day and it almost like they almost like guilt you for being in shape like it's it's almost like yeah. you have to be fat to be okay to talk about having food issues. And it's like, no, everybody struggles with this and men yeah. struggle with this as well. Like just because you're fit and in shape doesn't mean that you have this bad, this bad, um, thoughts towards food. Like it's, it's, it's almost like people don't want to hear you talk about it. And it's like, no, like, mm -hmm. I'm, like I'm fucked up. Like help me tell me and no, it's, it's, that I shouldn't eat this. It's, it's, Everyone has like every, every single personality, every person like has a point system. You know, some people have tens in this category and twos in certain categories and they're, they're incapable of seeing like the, the balance of the universe that is brought to every single situation. Like everything, like there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everything has a give or take. Everything is a pendulum. And so if you think about people that are fit, not as people that are just by default in shape, by default healthy, that's not how it works most of the time. Yes. We all know that one person that's always looked good that's always eating healthy, you know, that just kind of always has their shit together. And I'm sure they have vices. Maybe it's not food, but maybe they're a fucked up person in other ways. And so as someone who has been like the ultimate fat kid that came all the way to the other side and is like, you know, quote unquote, the ultimate ripped in shape guy, mm -hmm. I am on this side of the spectrum because by default, I live mentally on the other side. I yeah. always see myself as fat. I always see myself as eating like shit. Yeah. I always see myself as out of shape and making bad decisions which is what caused me to try and find solutions to that. And I'm, I'm, you know, we've, we've made the transformation. We're on the better side now, but those, those demons in the back, you know, those shadows in the closet, they're always there. Mm -hmm. And people don't like to think like, if, especially if they see you physically, like fit people, people just think fit people have easier lives in general. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being, being physically attractive does have its benefits. You know, people treat you differently. But like at the end of the day, when you go home and it's just you, like you deal with the same shit. Like you, you were, I was still raised, even though I'm in shape, doesn't mean that I live in a different food environment than you guys. Like I still like, I still like bad food probably more than the next person yep. because I'm not allowed to have it. You yep. know, like I think about it more than they do because it's taboo for me. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy. Um, when you're someone that starts getting your shit together, it's like the risks become even more scary, you know, and it's, it's not, and I understand why people don't like when you talk about it because they can see that, you know, on, on the outside, you've got your shit figured out, you know, who are you to bitch about this stuff? Mm -hmm. But most of the time, like, I would argue it's kind of worse for people like us, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a reason why every single person that's fit 
like starts to have this like obsession with peanut butter or like starts to like peanut butter <laughs> it's because it's calorically dense like it's 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 the most like, so like fatty it's literally the most fatty food you could consume you know and like it's 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 because you're now burning all of this energy off your body becomes more focused on trying to replace it mm-hmm. you know it's, once again there's no such thing as a free lunch everything's a give and take yeah, it's just not easy. And it's just, I think everybody needs to be more understanding and open, open to things and not judging someone who is fit for trying to talk to you about, like, I'm really struggling with my food today. And they're like, shut up, just eat the pizza. Like, you're skinny, you're buff. Like, <laughs> no, listen to me, please. Like, tell me not to eat this. Or like, can you split this with me? So we're yeah, getting there. Or, or, or on the other side of that, if you're a person that's not in good shape and you're trying to bring tough word to work or you're trying to make healthy decisions, you know, people will... People will try and force you back into the box they have you in, you know, in their head mentally. Like, no, I don't like you trying to be better than I think you are. Mm-hmm. I don't like you threatening my own choices and my own habits. Like, you're making me feel bad about my life decisions right now. Don't do that around me. Just have the fucking cookie. Just have the pizza. You know, go do your healthy shit when you're by yourself. Don't do it around us. Yeah. We want to feel good about our bad decisions. And that's bad, too. You know, especially nowadays, it's becoming more and more prominent to, like, disenfranchise somebody away from from making changes to their health or to their diet or to how they exercise because like unfortunately it's it's normalized to just be out of shape and that that's a whole other can of worms we could get into as far as like how many people have been burned or 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 scorned the diet industry which is entirely understandable because it's it's a business and it's focused on making profit not actual sustainable results so to all the people out there who have tried dozens of diets who have been on the yo-yo train for their whole entire life like i feel you man you have every fucking right to be upset mm-hmm. and like not want to try that and to just try and give up it's not what you should do but i understand why you would feel that way you know yeah definitely so i i wanted to talk to you or, or i wanted to ask your opinions on some different fitness trends and myths and just kind of see what you think about them Oh, we got to be careful here. I'll try and keep it succinct. <laughs> okay. I'm get so the expression, no pain, no gain. Um, I think it works. I think it's a, it's a good way of explaining that change happens when you're uncomfortable. Um, okay. And I do think that most people, and I think it's just continue to be more true and like not to get, you know, not to, not to, circle around like the toxic masculinity discussion but i do think that as society becomes more comfortable and this kind of speaks back to like the testosterone thing not existing that makes sense too Mm -hmm. that experiencing pain uh in a manner that is is dosed by you that you're in control of that you're deciding where this pain comes from and how much you can tolerate i think that is a good mindset to be in i think that um, in the large vacuum of forced uncomfortability that's no longer existing like no one's no one's forced to walk two miles to get water. No one's forced to carry, you know, a yeah. bunch of oranges on their back to go feed their family or go like like drag a deer to the woods. I think that if you do not seek out being uncomfortable, um, you will become less happy, more depressed, more out of shape. And that's really all it comes down to. It's just like understanding that your brain and your body are problem-solving machines. And if yeah. you're not giving it a healthy dose of problems to solve, you're not going to feel good. Okay. I like that. Uh, what's your thoughts on being plant-based? Uh, I think we, I think we may have talked about this a little bit. I think that as far as the moral reasons go, like if you're, if you're doing this from a standpoint of like, I want to, and this is a whole other, like really complicated conversation too, because plants are also living things. So like where you, yeah. where you draw the line as far as like hurting other life, you know, it can keep kind of, kind of fuzzy and weird. 
But I think that you can, you can mostly sustain a plant-based lifestyle. I think that you really need to do your research and understand that um, there's going to be a lot of vitamins and minerals that are essential to optimal body function that you're just straight up not going to be able to find in plants. And you need to supplement that with other ways, um, whether it be through injections or pills or whatever it may be. Uh, protein is also something that you really have to like, you have to get more of. You typically want to get twice as much protein in plant-based form um, than you are getting if you're eating conventional animal products. But if you really do your due diligence, you know what the risks are. Um, and you're doing it for the right reasons, I think it's okay. I don't want to push anyone away from it. I yeah. don't think it's the best way. I think that like everything, like life is binary, ones and zeros, left and right, yin and yang, up and down, black and white, red, blue, blue whatever. You need to be doing a good balance of both. Um, and I could have a whole spiel about how plant foods versus animal foods balance each other out. But long story short, it is sustainable. I don't think it's the best thing in the world. I understand why so many people empathize with it. And I think that the moral justifications are great because animals are objectively treated like shit and it's disgusting. Yeah. Like the mass factory farming, like none of that is pretty. It's borderline yeah. evil yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think that definitely needs to change, even if it does involve like us not eating quite as much meat or something like that. I think that's mm -hmm. a fair trade off. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's as far as I'll go with that one. Okay. Uh, I was, I was plant-based for about a year and a half, two years. And my biggest shtick was it was that it created a very, unhealthy thought around food and everything I ate was bad for me and was bad food. Yeah. So I had a lot of food guilt. So that was the biggest thing. And then it was so funny. Like when people find that you're eating plant-based, if you, if they catch you like eating something that has plant or dairy in it, then they rip you a new asshole for it. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm trying, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying. So there's not, not only my internal food guilt, but like external food guilt from people being like, I thought you were a vegan. I thought you were plant-based. Like, why are you yeah. eating that slice of pizza? It's like, I'm sorry. I've been up since four o'clock this morning and there's no fast food places that are plant-based and I just am starving. So I'm doing this. Yeah. Like I already feel bad about it. Thanks. Trying to trying to navigate that environment, like trying to be 100% vegan, is just a tough thing. That's that takes yeah. a lot of discipline and control. And kudos to the people that are able to do it because discipline is discipline, no matter what you're yeah. putting it towards. But there's also the social implications of it. Like a lot of people, like if you were to take away their ability to tell people, like how many people, if you told like, hey, you can be vegan forever, but you're literally never allowed to tell anybody about it ever again <laughs> for the rest of your life. Like how many of them would not want to be a vegan? Yeah. Right, because so much yeah. of it is like the club or the religion that you're in. Mm -hmm. And if it's about that, then then what are you really doing it for? Are you doing it so you look like a unique snowflake, or are you using it to like morally signal that you're better than other people? Yeah. Um, and on top of that, like what you're talking about, there's actually a new classification of um, eating disorder called orthorexia, Ooh. and it describes what you're talking about, which is this obsession with clean foods. And clean can be, you know, low fat. It can be low carb. It can be you know, non-animal, it can be non-processed, it can be you know, like no added sugar. Clean can be whatever you want to define it as, right? Like there's so many different ways to judge your food based on the ingredients and what's good or bad. But if you're constantly worried about like your food decisions to the point where you're looking at the ingredients of every single one, you know, and you, you stress yourself out and you feel yeah. bad if you have to eat something that's outside, of that, then that's not good for you either. You know, if your if your physical health is improving, but your mental health is taking an equal hit, mm -hmm. like, are you really getting healthier? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like that a lot. Okay, what are your thoughts on keto? 
Uh, I did keto for, I did it for, I want to say almost a year straight, if not longer than that, like kind of okay. off and on and lots of different forms. I did like the conventional keto where you don't have any carbs really ever. I did cyclical ketogenic diet, which is where you'll have like carbs uh, on the weekends and stuff. Keto was originally invented um, as a cure for child epilepsy, believe it or not. The oh, kind okay. of, um, the, the mechanism of action for epilepsy in children at least a certain kind, was glucose dependent, meaning that it needed carbohydrates for it to happen. So okay. if you took away most carbs from these kids' diet, they simply wouldn't have seizures, which is really cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of cancers as well. Um, like if you have cancer, there's a small chance that your cancer or your tumor is glucose dependent, meaning that it will simply not grow, it will not develop if you huh. don't give it carbs. So the small population of people that really could benefit from ketogenic dieting, um, as far as weight loss goes, I don't think it has any extra utility um, or I know for a fact it doesn't have any extra utility over conventional calorie restriction. Um, I know that no matter how hardcore you are, this is something I learned with the cyclical part, um, you're going to want carbs eventually, which means that it's not sustainable. Yeah. And the problem with keto is you need to deprive your body of, of carbs to such a degree that in order to get into ketosis, you will uh, inevitably go through a mandatory period called the keto flu which means you're going to feel like crap, you're going to have brain fog. And what that is is your body essentially transitioning from glycogen as a primary fuel source to fat. And when it's doing that, it, it doesn't feel good because it's really trying to tell you like, hey, please get some carbs because I'm about yeah. to tap into your fat stores. My gas tank is empty. As soon as you get over that keto flu, there's this really cool like period of I don't crave carbs anymore. I don't really crave food anymore. I have consistent, stable energy levels all throughout the day. And all that's great. But the food decisions you're having to make and like how strict, like to the point where I couldn't even have carrots. Like if I wanted to stay what? in ketosis, I couldn't have peanut butter. Yeah, I was saying, but if you really want to be in true ketosis, it's like at the high range, below 50. Uh, but even as a six foot three, you know, athletic dude that was working out, I needed less than like 30 grams of carbs a day, which means I couldn't have ranch dressing. I couldn't have oh. carrots. I couldn't have any fruit. Um, I couldn't have like regular yogurt. I had to make like my own casein protein, like coconut oil mix, which is weird. Hmm. So I think it's, I think it's something that's an interesting, um, dietary adventure. If you're, if you're someone that's really educated and really disciplined and really knows what you're doing, especially if you're a coach and you want to like tell other people about your experiences, it's got some utility there, but for the most part, it's just another fad and yeah. it, it'll, it'll pass. Okay. What about juicing? Juicing as in like juicing in addition to a regular diet or just pure juicing? Pure juicing. Doing the like lemon, cayenne pepper, honey thing or like doing like a weekend of juicing or like a week ju a week of juice de detoxing. What do you think of that? This one's tricky because like what, what you're ingesting um, is not necessarily unhealthy. Okay. It's just that it's just another form, just like keto, of being really restrictive of, of taking away what you know you want to get short-term results. Um, I think the idea that you can cleanse your body or you can manhandle it into some kind of like physiological cleanse or like a better place is silly. Your, your body already does that on its own. And if you're doing everything you're supposed yeah. to do, exercising, drinking water, it's going to do a way better job of that than you ever trying to do it yourself. Um, I think that... If you're like waking up in the morning and having a juice instead of breakfast, if you got like some protein in that juice, and that's fine. You should have real food throughout the rest of the day. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever really a good idea um, to stick to just one style of food. 
um, especially if it's trying to replace a normal caloric deficiency. Like it'll always be better for you to just eat what you normally eat in smaller portions yes. um, than completely flipping the script and doing something that, that you would normally never do unless you you know hadn't seen the articles or heard about it or something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. I got two more for you and then we'll start to wrap up. Uh, sweating more means you're having a better workout. Not necessarily. Um, sweat can be a good inclination of a high internal core temperature, which okay. can mean that you're burning more calories. But on the other side of that, being in a cold plunge or being in a cold shower or being in a cold environment can also burn more calories. It's just a different system. Okay. Um, I think that as long as the gym that you're in, you know, it isn't cranking the AC, like, yeah, you should definitely, and some people sweat less more than others, right? Like, like I know people that barely sweat at all that I've never even seen sweat, no matter how hard they work out. So what do you tell that person? Like, even though they look great, even though they're in good shape, like, are you going to tell them they're still not, they're not sweating enough? So they're not in good shape. Whereas, you know, you and I have like European genes, you know, we've got a little bit of Norwegian in us. Sweaty. Yeah. So so our, so we grew up in cold climates, which means that, you know, our body sweats heavily whenever it's put in heat. It's not adjusted to that most of the time. Whereas people who are from Asia, most of the time don't sweat quite as much. Right. Mm -hmm. So sweating, I think if you're a normal sweater, if you're not someone that doesn't sweat a lot, yeah, you should be sweating a little bit. More of it does not mean anything more is happening though. Like if you go into a sauna and you're doing it for that, like, isolated purpose and yeah sweating is good for you heat shock proteins yada 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 um but outside of that no it's, it's not a good it's not a good way to measure uh the effort that you're putting out okay for the most part is it possible to sweat too much like should you be concerned if you're soaking <laughs> through your clothes asking for a friend not asking personally <laughs> yes you can definitely sweat too much i think sweat suits are silly um i think if you're getting ready if you need to weigh something for whatever reason, if it's like, all right, by this date, you have to weigh, you know, this amount, then yeah, there's something to be said for water manipulation. But if you're trying to, to, to sweat a lot, so you burn fat, not how it works. If you're trying to sweat a lot, so you lose water weight and you look better, not how it works. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to sweat a lot for any of those reasons, yes. And you can sweat too much. I've in the military, um, a lot of my missions involve standing up and during the summer, Mm-hmm. Um, we would be in, you know, our, our black wool blouses, our black, you know, hats, our, yeah. our wool pants, our black metal shoes. And I've sweat so much to the point where I almost passed out. And I had the medics literally tell me there was no way you could ingest enough water to replace what you were sweating out. So yes, you can wow. definitely sweat too much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then last fitness question I want to ask you, the more water you drink, the better. No. Um, there's the there's the, the general recommendation of like eight glasses a day, uh, not real. Like if you're if you're aiming at eight glasses, you're probably getting enough water. That's a good thing. Okay. But really, it sounds almost too simple to be true. Um, you should never be thirsty. Okay. If you're thirsty, you're not drinking enough water. It's fine if you finish a hard workout and like don't judge yourself if you want to chug water. Like that's totally normal. But throughout the day, um, you should never like be wanting to just chug water, you know, unless it is like something like that. You should especially not be drinking water too late at night because you're going to wake up and have to pee a lot. And a problem back to like the binge eating thing is you can fast all day, not really have a lot of water. And then as soon as you start intaking salt and carbohydrates, um, your body needs a certain mandatory ratio of water for every gram of sodium and every gram of carbs. And so that's why you get thirsty when you have like a big meal or a really salty meal, okay. it wants that balance. So drink water all day, drink water when you're eating, when you're not eating. Um, and if you're not thirsty, then you're fine. 
So is it possible to drink too much water? Yes, absolutely. Because then I, you, I think you that, flush uh, out it's your hard minerals, to do. right? Yeah, and you will just like have like watery poops. Like you'll just literally poop water. <laughs> it's happened to me before during like football when they're like drink two gallons a day before the games. And yeah, that is archaic fitness knowledge. So yes, it's definitely it's definitely possible to drink too much water. It's, it's hard for most people to do that. Um, if you're having trouble drinking enough water, you can get like little meal spurts mm-hmm. or like certain supplements that don't have any calories and make it taste yummy. I do that a lot too. But no, just drink water to where you're not thirsty. That's it. Okay, cool. Well, Brandon, we covered some awesome topics in here, and I am so excited to put this out. I think this is going to be one of the most educational episodes that I've done so far, and I am really excited to share your knowledge with the world. Thank you so much for all of your information. Oh, so honored that you had me on. Of course, it's my pleasure to come on here and do my, my autistic thing and just shoot all the details all at once. I but love it. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the space and the reason to talk about all this stuff. Of course. I would like to do it again. Maybe yes. we can come up with some different, some different questions. Oh, totally. We didn't even talk about all the like fun stuff that you've done in your fitness world and all your little spicy things that you've partaken in. So there's, <laughs> there's definitely some more things that we can talk about. Do you want to plug anything or your Instagram handle? Uh, yeah, my Instagram is uh, BrandonNBC. I'm not coming on a lot of content nowadays because I've got a normal job. Uh, so I'm not doing the independent trainer thing anymore. So we have to. But if anyone has any questions about the stuff, uh, if they'd like some, some online coaching or just some kind of help or accountability, uh, I would love to be that person. Shoot me a DM, whatever it may be. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I love you so much. This has been so fun. I feel like I learned a shit ton, so I'm so excited. And I have, like, when we were talking about different things, I have friends that I've had conversations with, and, like, they're going to love this episode. Like, I was just talking to a friend about him wanting to get his um, hormones tested and get t- uh, testosterone done. So I'm so excited to share your knowledge. I am so excited to see the feedback. Yay. Well, I love you so much. And thank you again, sir. Thank you very much. We'll do this again. It's again.